Hi, and welcome to Fashion Talks, the podcast about observing the world through the lens of fashion. I'm your host, Donna Bishop. Hello, and thank you so much for joining me. Today, I am bringing you one of my favorite episodes from The Vault. It is with the one and only Jeannie Becker. And hearing her share stories from her 25 years at fashion television was nothing short of pure pleasure. Let's get right to the conversation. And for many of us, Saturdays at 6.30 from 1985 to 2012 were sacred, as that's when the unforgettable synthesizer riffs of Anne Emotion's Obsession announced the opening credits of fashion television hosted by my guest today, the amazing Jeannie Becker. The brainchild of producer Jay Levine, FT opened the world's eyes to the fashion industry. And I can't even imagine how many story segments you did because by your 20th anniversary, you've clocked like 2000. So holy smokes. Eventually syndicated in 140 countries around the world by the time it ceased production in 2012. And a collective sob and river of mascara flowed (laughs) around the world. It was most certainly the end of an era and an era that influenced countless fashion designers and fashion lovers like me alike. Thank you so much for being here, Jeannie Becker. You're so welcome. Yeah, we kind of created this monster. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if it was such a good thing at the end of the day. Who knew, right? We can talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my understanding is the concept of fashion television was to approach designers the way that musicians were often approached to kind of get the story behind the people who were behind the album. So you were working with the new music. Well, I came from that background. Uh, I was an entertainment reporter even leading up to that. But in 1979, we started doing this groundbreaking show called The New Music. This is pre-MTV. Nobody was really putting rock stars on TV in that way, you know, really going into their hotel rooms and into the studio with them and backstage and uh, riding on the tour buses. And uh, J.D. Roberts and I, now John Roberts. Yes, he's very News, serious. Um, we uh, got the chance to do this amazing show thanks to the brilliant John Martin who uh, started it Uh, and that was uh, flying by the seat of our pants because we didn't really know what we were doing and dealing with those egos and those icons and and just the whole vibe of the scene was so smash grab in your face it was rock and roll what a perfect training ground for what I was about to do six years later um was it six years yeah that's right because we started 79 1985 where else was there to go? I thought, you know, if I interview Rod Stewart once more, I'm going to lose it. It's time to How go old on hat? to the next Sting thing. again? <laughs> Sting again. Okay. <laughs> he had in mind so much. Um, but uh, it started doing this music, um, I should say fashion magazine show, much the same way that we did the music magazine show. That wasn't the original um, thought for fashion television. Jay Levine, brilliant young um, commercial producer at uh, City TV at the time, wanted to do a fashion video show um, where he'd have some gorgeous hot model introducing the latest fashion videos because 
the industry thought that maybe fashion videos could do for the fashion industry what music videos did for the music industry. So a few designers were producing these little fashion videos at the time. Well, and FT started as an hour-long show before it sort of found its ground in yeah, that 30-minute segment. Yeah, we did a series segment. of specials, Yeah, not realizing that it was going to go into a, a weekly half-hour series. What did you think when, uh, was it Moses who approached you and said, hey, Miss no, New Music, you're going to be on oh FT. Oh my God, listen, I, I loved Moses. Moses and I were to bits, but um, he never approached me to do the show at all. I basically banged down the doors of the management at City When I found out that they were thinking of doing a show about fashion, I said, hey, pick me. I paid my dues in the rock and roll trenches. I really love fashion. I grew up, well, I grew up in the 60s, like all mod chicks um, who absolutely could never get enough of fashion. And I, I said, you got to let me do this show. And they had a a lobby filled with aspiring video, uh, fashion video chicks there. Like when I walked in that day, I'll never forget it. I thought, what is going on here? And there were all these models who had heard this open casting call. And I just marched right upstairs to the station manager's office. And you could, I said, no, you got to let me do this show about fashion. Forget about those models. You know, you need someone who really knows how to interview the designers. And they went, we don't want talking heads. We don't want interviews with designers. We just want it to be sexy and we want a lot of movement. And I said, okay, whatever. Let's just please give me a chance. And they did for some reason. Can you paint us a bit of what the landscape was like for fashion media then? Because it was very print heavy yeah. and kind of esoteric and where are hemlines and what's the Pantone? Yeah, and it, you know, it was almost um, a kind of intimidating really. And unless you really followed the fashion world, a lot of the fashion commentary that you would read in the newspaper didn't really make sense. I mean, the Toronto Star used to have the women's section and they had fashion columns in there, maybe talking about the silhouettes and the cuts and the hemlines and that kind of thing. It wasn't um, covered in a pop kind of way, uh, but fashion had become such a vital part of our popular culture and nobody was really talking about it in a fun, upbeat, user-friendly way. So unless you were a real follower of fashion, you were almost intimidated to, you know, go up and you know pick a, up a copy of a magazine and read about it. So this show enabled us to bring fashion right into people's homes on a weekly basis. We could bring them up to date on what was happening, but we weren't covering it as fashion journalists because as I say, I was an entertainment reporter uh, and I was more into the personalities and the, and the vibe of the scene and the, the, the big crazy sexy visuals of a runway, of course, were magical because that to me was great theater. And I had also come from a background in theater and I really appreciated it in that way. So, you know, I, I would hope to think that in a sense, we help democratize fashion for people. I think so. I mean, I remember being so excited just seeing this whole new world open up before our eyes. Like we get, we all kind of, I think, knew about fashion, but here was, you know, behind the scenes, you know, in the ateliers, scrappy, like, very MTV style. How big was your crew? Like, it was it you and a cameraman? Yeah, that was it, me and a cameraman. I mean, in later years when the CTV uh, took over um, and we, we would send a field producer sometimes, but most of the time it was me and a cameraman. That was it. And it was great because we were used to working that way at City TV with these one-man bands. You didn't really need anything else. I mean, the raw 
ness of it was just so appealing and so gritty and, and gave you such an intimate feel. It was up close and personal. You know, we used to see the CBC crews come along with them. They had an audio guy and they had a producer and they had a, that, like a, someone running, you know, signing things and getting everything you know, I, we were just so rough and ready. And because of that, we could gain much easier access because there were only two of us to worry about, you know, me and the cameraman. I mean, it, it, uh, later seasons, I started carrying around a little high eight camera so we could get a grittier kind of feel. And I would go right into the, the pit with the rest of the photographers and I could get right into people's faces and I could run around to, to places where they wouldn't even allow our camera and get stuff. And we used to show that stuff sometimes in black and white. And it was one Wonderful. Uh, we didn't care about the quality of the picture or the sound as much as some of our other uh, professional counterparts did. And uh, I, I think that, in a sense, it was almost what led up to what we're seeing now on social media, that, that kind of do-it-yourself grittiness. There is, is a full circle there of, you know, FT utilizing the innovations of digital technology and what was available to create this really um, exciting, raw content. What was the reaction like in the industry when FT came on the scene? Uh, the industry with a capital I <laughs> did the not industry. necessarily like us. Uh, first of all, what who was who was I? You know, Jeannie Becker, some chick that came from the world of rock and roll that didn't really you know have a proper footing in fashion, according to uh, I'm sure a lot of the snooty fashionistas out there. Um, so they also didn't understand the medium or didn't take to the medium or didn't really approve of the medium. And there's always been a lot of snobbery about television or used to be anyway, uh, back in the day. Um, as we were saying, fashion was the kind of thing that was really carried in the print medium. That was where it was analyzed. That's where the heady uh, conversations about fashion took place. It was all about the printed page. The magazines sold those ads so they could bring you the latest and the greatest or newspapers uh, as well, you know, covered fashion. But television, it was like, you know, it was almost like they made me feel anyway, as though I was not worthy. The medium was not worthy of covering, you know, and but I thought it's a no brainer to put fashion on TV. You know, it's about movement. It's about visuals. Like, why wouldn't you? But uh, no, and I, <laughs> to this day, I don't think a lot of people, you know, in the industry, you know, some of the younger people, of course, the people that grew up with the show absolutely lapped it up. But there were others that were in there, you know, before we got in there, who I don't think appreciated the kind of um, coverage that we brought to fashion because we made it kind of common and in some elitist fashion circles that's not what they wanted they wanted the the exclusivity of the of the industry to sort of remain absolutely. intact and you guys were busting down that door absolutely there's so many designers that came of age or had their debuts during the time of fashion television i'm thinking of mcqueen ford karen Galliano, Yakamoto, Wang, McCarthy, Victor Rolf, so many globally recognized names that we all know and love. What are some of your most memorable interviews? Oh, are there, I mean, I know that's kind of asking you to choose your yeah. favorite child, right? I mean, it's really, it, it's really hard. And I can't even think of interviews because for the most part, I was interviewing a lot of these um, people on a seasonal basis. So Time and time so again, you got to know you know, I them. got to really know them and feel like they were 
kind of friends in a way. Uh, some of them, you know, I might even go out to dinner with or, you know, Bill Blass invited me to his apartment for tea, you know, like, wow, there was some, some cool stuff that went on. Um, but I would say of, of the person personalities that I interviewed over the years. Um, you know, McQueen obviously is right up there. Um, what an amazingly sensitive artist. And you can't say that about every designer. Certainly not all designers are artists. I believe some are. Some are artists and they don't see themselves as artists. But uh, many uh, have an incredible uh, artistic eye and soul and spirit. And certainly McQueen did. He was a great poet and um, a very sensitive, beautiful person. Um, and I really had a special connection with him, I, I felt. His 1999 show, when it ends with Shalom Harlow and like the performance yeah. art moment with the uh, robot spray painting, like to be present for yeah. those sorts of moments. And I just, there, I get shivers yeah. thinking about I it. I tell you, you know, I, I used to hear people saying, oh, that show is so beautiful, I cried. And I thought, you know, what a bunch of BS. Like, I was going to cry at a fashion show. I actually shed a few tears at that moment. And McQueen admitted that himself, too, that watching it from the backstage area, that he, he shed a tear at that moment. That was an extraordinary moment. That was... That was the kind of moment that you really live for. So that was great. I mean, there were a lot of other really great uh, moments that I had in terms of interviewing these people. Carl Lagerfeld, the late, great Carl mm. Lagerfeld, and it so pains me to say that because I can't believe he's gone. You know, I just thought never, the minute Carl Lagerfeld leaves this earth, I'm going to get out of the fashion business because he was my absolute mentor, inspiration, uh, such a renaissance man, such a... Um, such an inspiration because he was always about looking forward. Was he an early adopter of fashion television? Was he kind of on board from the beginning? Yeah, I mean, they, you know, a lot of these European uh, designers, especially, uh, you know, before they even started watching it, thought, oh, you know, the more attention that you can grab, the merrier. And they realized what a brilliant marketing tool a show of this nature could be. And they, and that was what was so wonderful about it. You have to understand that we were the only crew backstage at a lot of those shows in the early days. Once in a while, Elsa Clunch, who did, you know, style on CNN, they would be at shows too because they started their show about a year or two before we started ours. Um, and even Tim Blanks and Fashion File didn't come into things till about three years after we had started our show. So we were like the only crew backstage at these fashion shows. So we had the undivided attention of the designers and the PR people were just all about getting as much exposure as possible. So they were very welcoming. Um, it, it was just extraordinary. And the people that I met, you know, in those early days of their career, like the Tom Fords, for example, who was just so wonderful. And he was just obviously such a hip guy and really got the importance of the medium. And, you know, because he's a filmmaker himself, you know, very much into the visuals. He was uh, always so, so personal with me, I felt, and very, you know, open and, and willing to share. And it was a wonderful, wonderful uh, time to be able to get up and close and personal with so many of these uh, great 
artists. Well, and Mark Jacobs, too, and who Mark you Jacobs interviewed on a fire escape. Yeah. Oh, but know? that was even way... Mark Jacobs came to Toronto uh, in the very early days of fashion television, maybe around 1986, and he was having his clothing manufactured by... Um, you know Barbara Atkin, of course, who's the former fashion director of Holt Renfrew. Well, her husband uh, had a, a company called Ellie Morrell, I believe, and they used to manufacture Wayne Clark's dresses. And uh, somehow he discovered this Mark Jacobs who was starting this little line. It was mostly like sweaters and stuff. And they were manufacturing it in Toronto. And he came to Toronto and I interviewed him at some schleppy little factory space on the outskirts of town. And he was this kid with hair down to his elbows. And he was just this you know, feisty young guy who really had an idea of how modern women should be dressing. And, and I just fell in love with him because he was just so candid and personal and real. And, and, you know, now to think of the incredible heights to which he rose and, you know, the, all the peaks and valleys of his career, really, and to see him through that, what a privilege it was. Well, and I, I think of his uh, collection for Perry Ellis, his 1993 mm -hmm. grunge collection, like, how forward thinking, but I mean, you got to see success in its ebbs and flows yeah, with and a lot of these designers. And how he got so raked over the coals for that. And I remember that fire escape interview that you're talking about. He was standing on his fire escape right after he got fired from Perry Ellis, much before uh, Louis Vuitton had come to him. And he was saying, well, you know, Robert Duffy, who was his partner at the time, business partner, you know, we're just going to keep it really small now. We're just going to do our small little Mark Jacobs business because that's all we care about. And we're never going to get carried away with any of that big stuff and all that hype of fashion. And we're, you know, and then a few seasons later, there he is designing <laughs> for LVMH. You know, that's one thing about fashion. It is the most hypocritical thing. It is the most, you know, it is so enigmatic. It's a total contradiction, you know, season in and season out, the things that you see and the, all the people that say never, you know, and then all of a sudden they come around. Yeah, never say never. Oh. Well, and there's such an unguardedness. Like I was watching your interview with Anna Wintour when she first started at American Vogue. Mm -hmm. And I mean, who knew that she would still be at the helm today? Oh, Who knew the influence yeah. she would have? And there was such a relaxed candor yeah. between the two mm, of you. Well, I do remember the very first time I met Anna Winter. She had just come over from the UK to head up House and Garden magazine. Um, and she was at uh, the library. They were having a big, uh, I guess, the CFDA awards, I think, were happening at the, at the library in New York and uh, someone introduced her this new editor from the UK that was you know heading up house and garden and I was so taken with what she was wearing she's wearing those gorgeous frock it was a beaded frock and I said well who designed your frock and she just went it's vintage Jeffrey Bean and that was like the coolest I mean first of all Jeffrey Bean was like the coolest designer in my mind of all time really I mean the most forward-thinking brilliant uh, gentleman of a designer but the fact that she was wearing vintage, I mean, and this is really back. It was still, I think, the, the late 80s yeah, or something. Yeah, so 87, absolutely, I think. Absolutely. Uh, phenomenal that she you know rose to the, the level to which she's risen and, and a brilliant woman uh become such an icon and and such a president and such a force and for better or worse um so influential maybe some feel too influential i mean i, I sort of worry about the designers who she hasn't really made time for because uh, there are some who do feel slighted because she's never come to one of their shows and like, oh, how can that be? Um, you know, I'm thinking of uh, 
the great Ralph Rucci. I don't know if uh, you're familiar with his work, but truly one of the best designers, not only in America, but in the world. Uh, and, you know, she has never, for some reason, graced his show with her presence. I don't understand why. So, you know, what her agenda is, you know, I don't know, but obviously she's, she's brilliant and she's great at what she does. And, and it's wonderful for a, a woman to see um, another woman still, you know, hanging in there, you know, at that age, there's a lot of ageism in this fashion business. And you know, well, in, in some things in are general, consistent in fashion, but, I suppose, uh, yeah. as ages, ageism um, reigns. And, yeah. And to see, you know, Anna, who's, uh, you know, she's, is she like almost 70 or maybe ish kind of mm, good for her she looks amazing and she's in up there wow the 80s is often referred to as the decade of the designer and i wonder sometimes if it's you know if the 40s are the golden age of hollywood then i wonder if the 80s is the golden age of fashion in so many ways because so much of what we take for granted as de rigueur and how and who what's influenced mm -hmm. started started then and there's such a cohort that is still, you know, very much a presence today. Well, eighties was really when the uh, designers started becoming personalities, celebrities. They, you know, in the old days, they were mostly in the back rooms, and certainly there were some great iconic, you know, legendary designers that we all uh, were inspired by. Um, however, designers as rock stars, let's say, that's when designers started hanging out with rock stars. You know, Madonna started hanging out with Jean-Paul Gaultier and Versace was hanging out with Elton John. And you know, all of a sudden there was a synergy between the music and the fashion scene. And media, of course, was exploding. Um, and things like, you know, MTV, fashion on TV. So, of course, designers really started to become these great, iconic uh, celebrities and and, and models too, really right? And models too, with, the age with of the supermodel. Freedom 90, exactly. and, and it was a Versace show. It was George Michael's uh, iconic video, obviously. And, you know, Linda, Naomi, Cindy, Christy, oh, and the then the Kate, model. and then mm -hmm. Carly, and then Alec. I mean, you saw the role of the model become a rock star, yeah, just like the designer. And then the models sort of got too big for their britches and nobody felt like paying the exorbitant fees that they were charging. And then people realized it should be really about the clothes and not about the models so much. Uh, so then that changed. I mean, we still have the Gigi Hadid's and Kylie Jenner's and some great Kaya Gerber's, great models around that are superstars in their own right, but not the way it was. I mean, those gals really took it to a place that was incredible. And I, I just, it will be no more. I mean, I don't want to get too nostalgic, but you sort of can't help it. Those were really uh, great days when you first started to realize the possibilities and the great fashion photographers of the era. And of course, there's still great creative people around doing fashion photography and, and, and obviously designing and modeling, but not like, you know, those originals. Uh, yeah, pretty, pretty pure. I love to quote that the uh, the young Tavi Grevenson said, where she was talking about how, you know, she was 13 when she started coming. Ta no, Tavi, Tavi. Yeah. And she mm -hmm. said, I don't care if I sit in the fourth row next season. It's all about the clothes. Yeah, but well, like, it's easy for but her to say. Nice it, to but nice to easy to say when you're sitting in the front row. Yeah, but. exactly. You know, she was a phenomenon. Very clever young woman now. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I really love Tavi a lot. But I'll never forget the day that she came to the Chanel show. It was her first season covering the shows in Paris. Someone had 
heard about this kid that was, uh, you know, <laughs> out of the like suburbs. Who knew what a blogger yeah, was of, of Ohio or something. She was uh, do, writing these little blogs and uh, they invited her to Paris and everyone was buzzing about, you know, this next big thing, you know, the bloggers coming. And she sat there in this outrageous hat that Stephen Jones had designed for her. It was like this big bow that looked like it was made of paper mache or something. And she was, of course, sitting in front of me, you know, and it was like, okay. And I realized, you know what, that was the moment that, and, and please, I didn't begrudge her. I thought it was great. I thought it was okay. Here's the next big thing, whatever fashion, the way I knew it was over. That that was that was like the beginning of the end for sure. And I remember even afterwards, and I introduced her to Carl Lager. She was there with her dad, who was a lovely guy. And uh, you know, I I was standing there, and and she came over, and I introduced Carl to her. And Carl was you know always about the new and the next, and youth in general. He loved loves young people. And, uh, you know, Carl was very gracious to me, of course. And, you know, I, I even have that there's that piece of tape, tape, I'm calling it. Well, it was a piece of tape at the time. Yeah. There was digital recording exists somewhere of, of Carl's, you know, eh, Carl and I and Tavi together. And I really felt it was kind of a passing of the torch. And then the next season to really drive me crazy, my beloved producer, Jay Levine, decided that he would have Tavi as a guest reporter covering the New York shows. And I will never forget the day that I had to literally pass the torch to Tavi. I and mean, there I was with this microphone that I had worked like the dickens to, to, to really, you know, symbolize um, all, the, all the fighting that I had done to, you know, all the elbowing my way into places and all the, the relentless, the, the tenacity that it required to hang in there, to hang in the trenches. Because covering fashion in that way is not an easy business. It's a jungle and it's survival of the fittest. And there I was with my, um, you know, my beloved fashion television microphone with that mic flash that I'd worked so hard to carry for all those years. And I passed it over to Tavi and I said, okay, go for it. You know, and she went off and covered some of the shows that I wish I could have been covering that season, but you know, it was like, okay, that's it. You know, time to, uh, to realize what's happening. You know, this whole new wave was coming into the fray and, and surely a few years later, it showed that we were becoming irrelevant covering fashion on television in that way, big deal. Everyone could be there in the front row now with their cameras rolling on their phone and bringing it all to people instantaneously. And, you know, it was good. It was just this big change, this big shift had happened. What kind of tenacity did you need to muster? Like, do you remember some moments where you were literally like busting down doors, pushing models out of the way? <laughs> and crying and having meltdowns and yes, 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 yes. Yeah. I mean, it was uh, it was a very inhumane kind of business to some degree. There was a lot of um, pleading and begging, and you'd arrive at your hotel um, in Paris. You know, every season uh, I, I talk about Paris because Paris to me is like the epitome of it all, and it, I think always will be, and it certainly was back in the day. And there'd be this big stack of invitations, and you'd go, "Okay, goody," and you go through and see who was you know who was sat you where and what shows you you had the invitation to, and isn't that great? And that even though you had been on the phone and your producers had been on the phone for weeks leading up to this, trying to make sure that you were going to be on the list, sometimes you weren't on the list and the invitation hadn't arrived. And because and you were you still realized, getting paper invitations, right? Oh, yeah. Like it came in Absolutely. the mail. Absolutely. 
Oh, yeah, and I think they still do. You know, I mean, the beautiful paper invitations. I mean, they go, oh, they're like they were to die for. But if, a, for example, if you were expecting an invitation to the Gauthier show or the Galliano show and it wasn't there, then you had to get on the phone with the PR people and the show would be like days, just a couple of days away. And it was like, and they would say, well, uh, sorry, no, 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 you're not on the list this season. I go, what do you mean we're not on the list this season? We've been covering your show religiously. Uh, sorry, no, too bad. There's a smaller venue, no room. It was like, what well, you can't, I'm sorry, no, I will not accept no for an answer. And you would still show up at the venue with your crew and plead and beg. And these fashion PR people were just terrible. Like the worst people in the world. Sorry to all these great fashion PR agencies out there. But they, they, were, they were the gatekeepers, the, yeah. the design. The designers were lovely. The designers were so nice. And the people running the studios, you know, and the, you know, the right-hand people of the designers were so nice. But the PR people were the ones that were hired to, you know, make sure yeah, it was manageable. And they could be, they were ruthless. They were terrible. It was awful. It was really, you know, <laughs> I want to go down that road. Yeah. It was okay. dehumanizing. And baby, I paid my <laughs> dues. What can I tell you? Anyone that thought like, oh, look at that Jeannie Becker. I want her job. I'd say, you know what, honey, get your own job. This is like not an easy business. And if you think for one second that it's any step of it is easy, you go get your ex. Well, because it seems so glamorous, right? You know, talking to these I wonderful know, designers. I made it look glamorous. Yeah, that's Although why she's I, a pro. I got to say, though, Donna, you know, really, we did try to show the business warts and all. I mean, there were many times when I got rejected or, you know, I, I tried to, you know, get into a place and they shut down the door. I, you know, I would get snubbed or, you know, and we did always keep the camera rolling in true, you know, fashion television, city yeah. TV style. That was what was so great about the show. We wanted to show the scene warts and all. And, uh, you know, I, I tried not to make it look that glamorous. I mean, like I, I never had, a, look, look at these gals on TV today. I'm bless them all. Like they've got stylists, they've got the hair and the makeup people. They've got, I didn't have, I did not have any of that. Thank God I had the Canadian designers to wear because that's all I ever wore religiously. Head to foot, I, all I ever wore was Canadian. I, I thought it was like almost uh, a sin if I showed up in something that wasn't Canadian because I thought this is kind of all I have is uh, my identity as a Canadian. I mean, people didn't even realize that we were from Canada anyway, because it was just like, really, you're from Canada? Where's that? You know, I hate to say it, but well, and Canadian days, designers were coming into their own there too. Like, you know, there were Wayne Clark's and Brian Bailey's and Diane. Yeah, but David only Dixon. on this side yeah. of the pond, <laughs> you know, in the in Europe. No designers had really broken through very much. I mean, the lovely Marie St. Pierre, I remember doing a show in Paris, uh, you know, a, a couple of times and a few designers made their way over. And then towards the end of our, our run, even Greta Constantine, you know, the boys, I, I, I actually showed them around Paris the first time they went. And that was great. But for the most part, no one had heard of uh, Canadian designers, really. They really didn't. And uh, that was sad. So I thought that was my duty as a proud Canadian to promote them over there. So I at least got had great wardrobes to wear because I could wear Canadian uh, designer clothing. And, you know, they would get a credit at the end of the show. But other than that, I didn't have a hair person. I didn't have a makeup person. I didn't have anybody telling me, you know, what to wear, how to dress. And sometimes we never even had, we had to hail cabs and it could be like raining. And I try to, you know, get a, a, a cab to pick us up with, you know, with all our gear. The it, glamour. It, yeah, it was not glamorous at all. Was there camaraderie between the designers? 
like when you'd be backstage and one show would be ending and people are getting ready for another, was there a community? Between design, it was very rare that you would see a design. I mean, you did see some designers showing support to other designers, showing up at other designers' show, but not usually. Not usually. For the most part, it, you know, designers you know, kept to their own shows and their own, you know, unless they were really close personal friends um, and they would show up, but, but rarely, uh, you know, I, I remember well, the, the brilliant retrospective that uh, Yves Saint Laurent uh, presented before uh, he, uh, he retired, before he died. It was just so incredible. There were many, many designers at that show just wanting to pay reverence. But uh, no, I mean, you know, having a show, it's like the spotlight is on that particular designer and no one would want to really, you know, steal the limelight. So... Alexandra McQueen said that fashion is personality, sexuality, and showing people who you are. What do you think fashion is? Oh boy, fashion is so many things. I think at the end of the day, fashion is a story. It's person, it's telling your personal story. It's hearing about other pers personal stories. Uh, and it really is, um, <laughs> It, it's the armor with which we move through the world um, to a large degree. Um, fashion works on so many different levels, though. And, you know, again, what is fashion, you know, and, and what is style? And, and fashion seems to be quite common these days. You know, I remember Lauren Hutton once said to me, fashion is what you're offered. Style is what you choose. And I thought, yes, and that today more than ever has become so important personal style and you know we're, we're just presented with a whack of stuff there's too much too much fashion out there I don't want to bite the hand that feeds me but there's much too much too much too much I mean you go into some of these shops and I, I, I feel like weeping at, at the amount of stuff that's on the racks and what's going to happen with all this stuff and who's, who's going to wear it and what we live in such an, an age of excess it's just coming at us so fast and furious. And then, you know, I joked earlier, like, oh, we created some kind of monster with fashion television. We did all the kids that grew up on our show and wanted to become fashion designers, you know, and, uh, you know, like, okay, but how many fashion designers do we really need in the world? And, well, and there's so. becoming, I think, a, an interesting discussion between the difference between a fashion designer and a retailer as we have fast fashion retailers that pump out, you know, something crazy like 500, you know, new articles a week versus designers that are focusing on the craft and a vision and, and honing a, a voice. Yeah. But at the, the end of the day, everyone has to sell stuff or they can't pay the rent, you know, so got to keep however, the lights on. Yeah. You know, however altruistic you want to be and however pure and you want to just create for the sake of creating. I mean, ugh, even the greatest artists, you know, have got to come out of the studio sometimes and sell something or they're going to starve, or they're going to have to resort to something else. So, you know, fashion designers really, at the best of times, they, they would like their stuff to be out there on the backs of people. To, they, want, they want to see it out there. They want to give people clothes that they can wear, that they can move through life with, that can hopefully make their lives a bit easier. And so how are they going to get it to the consumer, you know, and, and so the retailer plays such an important uh, role these days. Happily, you know, people can retail their own stuff now, you know, on their own websites, and isn't that wonderful? But, you know, you've got to really be able to wear uh, two different hats at the same time to be successful in this business today.
Well, as a as a fashion lover, I mean, you and you and fashion television influenced designers, models, fashion PRs, and just people who love clothes in general. So thank you so much for that. I have one last question. Do you know how An Emotion's Obsession became the theme song? A oh, fashion television, it was good. very new wave of the moment. Well, yeah. Lucky them. <laughs> the whole name Obsession at the time, you know, Calvin Klein and his uh, great obsession fragrance and, and the controversial ad campaign that went along with that. I mean, that obsession was like a great word for that era. I mean, it's still a great word. Um, you know, I don't know at the time, mm, I'm, I'm trying to think just who Jay Levine was working with a wonderful uh, producer, editor, Howard Brule, who worked on our show for many years. Um, and I think the two of them probably found it, but uh, yeah, isn't that incredible? We made that group a whole lot of money. No kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Jeannie Becker, thank you so much for being here. If people want to follow along, you do amazing things with, you know, Style Matters and you're still writing for the Globe and Mail and so many other things. Where can people follow along and find you? Well, I I think Instagram is probably the best way to keep track of me. You've got to spell my name right because it's at the Jeannie Becker, J-E-A-N-N-E, P-E-K-E-R. Um, yeah, I'm really uh, having a blast, still dancing as fast as I can, but boy, times have changed, baby. Thank you so much for joining me here on Fashion Talks. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your friends, your family, on your networks. It would mean the world to me. Fashion Talks is done in partnership with the Canadian Arts and Fashion Awards. You can find out more about them at Kappa Awards, C-A-F-A-W-A-R-D-S on Instagram. This episode was produced by Jason Perrier. You can find him on Instagram at A Jason Perrier. You can follow the pod at Fashion Talks Pod, and you can follow me at This Is Donna B. All of us on Instagram. I hope you will join us again next week. Thank you so much and have a great day.